So the first few minutes of the sermon on the 19th of July were missed, so I'm going to read the key passage and try to provide some context for the rest of the sermon. The passage is 2 Corinthians 9, 16 to 15. Excuse me, 6 to 15. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The background for this is actually, this is a continuation of um, a task that Paul gave to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So Paul had tasked the churches in Corinth and Galatia to um, take up a collection the first of the week, which would be sent to the church in Jerusalem. Um, so he's been going about in his journey, planting churches, spreading the word of God, and as he turns to go back on his journey, he looks at Corinth, the church at Corinthia, Corinthia and um, after telling them a few things which are, are oh, I suppose, more spiritual or something, he then remembers that he assigned them this task, and so he writes to them about the task they've been assigned. Uh, this is about where the scripture, where the sermon picks up. I'm not sure. He's planting churches, he's walking, he's, he's um, spreading the word of the gospel. And now he gets probably as far away as, from Corinth as he's going to. And he looks back towards Corinth, and one of the things that he remembers is, I gave you this task to give. So what else does he say? He then goes and starts the chapter. This is still before our main passage. Second um, Corinthians 9, the first five verses. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. Superfluous? What's that mean? Well, it means I don't need to do this because you're going to remember anyway. So I'm reminding you, but you really don't need reminding. Um, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So apparently he's using their faithfulness in giving as an example to the churches as he goes along. 
But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. So that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Wait a minute. He just said this is, I can't say that word very often, it's superfluous. It's not needed. I don't need to remind you of this. And then he says, oh, but by the way, I'm going to send the brothers to you to remind you. To make sure that you really are ready for us to arrive. And then he finishes those verses with, um, otherwise if some Macedonians come with me and find you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not an exaction. There's not a forced gift. So Paul is writing to the church. He says, I don't need to remind you of this, but here's a reminder anyway. So why does he do this? Well, have you ever pledged an amount to a charity? I'm going to give you $100 to your charity. Um, and then three months later, gotten a reminder letter from the charity because you just forgot. Um, that reminder letter, what is that? That's kind of a pressure. Hey, you promised you're going to give and you failed. Let's uh, think a little bit about a willing gift and not an exaction or an extraction is the word I would have used, but it says exaction. Um, you guys spend a lot of time on Facebook? I spend way too much time on Facebook. There was a, a recent article uh, on Facebook about a young lady who had gone to school. She had taken on school loans. She was in another town. She uh, was doing okay in school, I guess. And she got a letter from her church. Dear Susan or Sally or whoever it was, you've been negligent in your giving. You pledged X dollars at the beginning of the year and you have not been giving it. Please begin giving immediately or we will suspend your membership. How do you think that made her feel? When we were looking for envelopes for this church, there are things called numbered envelopes. And it is, um, every member of the church gets assigned a number. In theory, that's a great thing. Why? Because when you give, you don't have to write your name on the envelope. So when somebody sees an envelope with $100 in it, or $1,000 in it, they really have no idea who gave that. Um, so it, it promotes anonymity in giving. But the treasurer still knows who gave, for tax purposes, for, for tracking, etc. The, th the thing with those boxes is they each come in their own box with a number on the front of the box. And on the front of the box is an option you can get annual pledge amount. And they actually, the church tracks how much people pledge to give. It's really convenient for the budget people because now I can take all the pledges and see what my monthly income should be. Are there problems with that? Well, situations and circumstances change. This young lady went to school. She was no longer giving. She had no income. She was in school. You know, so things change. In addition, what is human nature? Well, first, I pledge to give $20 a week. 
How much am I going to give? I'm going to give $20 a week. My situation changes. I get a bonus at work. How much am I going to give? I'm going to give $20 a week. Okay, so you have some advantages, some disadvantages. We chose not to do that. We want you to give freely. Um, so let's get on to the key passage. Why did Paul remind the Corinthians that they should give generously? Starting at verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We don't have any farmers in here, do we? Garden. You have a garden? <laughs> is that true that if you reap generously, you sow generously? <laughs> if you've ever seeded your lawn for grass, do you put three seeds per foot? No, you spread seeds until it mostly covers the dirt. You know. What does that mean? Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously, or what's the word, bountifully, will reap bountifully. Um, farmers know that you get what you plant, and the more you plant, the more you get. Um, grain often returns a hundredfold. One seed can grow a stalk of grain with several hundred seeds on it. Why is that important? Well, if you are a farmer and you sow sparingly, what do you have to put to sow next year? If you only plant a couple dozen stalks of grain, a couple dozen grains of uh, seeds of grain, you get a couple dozen stalks, what do you have next year? Even if they produce hundreds of seeds, there's not a lot of seed left. So when you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly, and you get into a downward cycle. Each year you sow a little bit more sparingly, and you have a little bit less to sow with the following year. The same thing happens with generosity. As you sow generously, you reap generously. Now, is it a perfect analogy? Obviously not, because um, in the analogy you don't have insects or weather or anything else to contend with. But as a general principle, when you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. And that should feed on itself. The more you sow, the more you will reap in coming years. Uh, now let's stop for a minute and think about what Paul is saying and, and ask is this a letter of the law or a spirit of the law thing? What is Paul actually talking about? Well, he's talking about a collection they're taking up for a church in Jerusalem. Money. Okay. So the question is, by the letter of the law, is Paul saying if you reap money um, bountifully, you will, excuse me, if you sow money generously, you will reap money generously. Is that what the verse says? Let me read it. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let me read it the way a lot of people would like to read it. Whoever sows money sparingly will also reap money sparingly, and whoever sows money bountifully will also reap money bountifully. Is that what it said? It's not. Okay. So is this a a letter of the law thing where Paul is talking about money or is it a spirit of the law thing where it's a much broader principle? Uh, 
Um, can we agree that, that Paul is not just talking about money here? That, in fact, uh, we're talking about your skills, your time, um, your, your interests. Yes, we're also talking about money. Um, if you give generously with money, you may reap generously with money. Or you may reap generously with other blessings. Whether that is health within your family, healthy dog. Uh, you know, I don't know what those blessings will be. But I do know that God promises that if you are generous in your giving, you will be generously blessed. Let me reemphasize that. Did I say if you're generous in your monetary giving? I didn't and neither did Paul. He said to be generous. Uh, let's think a minute about a, uh, a parallel example. You guys know what a tithe is? A tithe is a tenth. And it is preached in most churches that you are to give a tithe to the church, a tenth to the church. I've preached something very similar to that in the past. I was recently reading a book by a Presbyterian pastor who pointed out every time that the tithe is mentioned in the Bible, it is mentioned with respect to crops and agriculture. Bring a tithe into the storehouse, it says. Um, well, that storehouse was to feed the poor. So when they talked about a tithe, it was bringing in a tenth of your crops and dedicating a tenth of your crops to the Lord. Again, are we talking the letter of the law? Are we talking the spirit of the law? Is that a principle that applies to us today? Or should we only require farmers to tithe? Now, the minister that wrote the book goes on to say, there's a reason I say this. Because if I tell you to give 10%, we're going to get into the same thing as the pledge where as circumstances change and you get more increase, you're always going to give 10% because that's what the law is. And what do they call people who give because, well, that's the rule. Well, in the old days, they called them Pharisees. And we know Christ wasn't very fond of the Pharisees because they were rule followers. And that's all they cared about were the rules. And so this pastor said, um, Probably 10% should be the minimum you give, but you're welcome to give more. Let's move on a little bit further in our passage. Um, Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I was a math major in college, so I had this long logic thing written up to describe this verse and God loves a cheerful giver or does that mean that, that if I'm not cheerful I shouldn't give and I structured this all very logically and mathematically and I shared it with Bev and she said what did you just say so she convinced me to present it a little differently um, many of you here are parents you know, my daughter did the dishes last night first time in probably four weeks and we said, Lisa, thanks for doing the dishes. And she was like, no problem. We were kind of wondering what kind of drugs she was on. But, um, but many a times we ask our kids to clean their room or do the dishes or walk the dog or whatever. Which do you prefer? No problem, Mom. No problem, Dad. Or, I just did that last week. 
I think maybe God loves a cheerful giver for the same reason that we love our kids to cheerfully give to our family. They give their time. They give their skills. They give their talents. They give their elbow grease. Do they do it cheerfully? Or do they do it grudgingly? If you're a parent, you understand that. And maybe you have an inkling of why God loves a cheerful giver. What do the verses not say? Well, many people who have money have used these verses to say, well, it's a matter of the heart. And therefore, if it's better for me to give a little cheerfully than to give a lot grudgingly. Is that what these verses are saying? So it does say, everyone must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Well, wouldn't God rather have me give $5 cheerfully than $50 and begrudge it? But what's verse 6 say? Verse 6 says, says, if you reap sparingly, you will sow sparingly. It says, God wants you to be generous in your giving. Not just with money, but with everything. Be generous. Verse 7 says, give cheerfully. So what we have is God saying, give cheerfully and generously. Not give cheerfully or generously. Will God take $5 given cheerfully and use it to spread his gospel? Sure. Will he take $50 and, and use it if it's given grudgingly to spread his gospel? Sure, why not? God can do whatever he wants with our money regardless of how we give it to him. With our time, with anything. No matter how we give it, cheerfully or grudgingly, God can use that. But he loves it when we give cheerfully and generously. That is when he can really use it. Uh, I've also heard people say, well, I'm not going to give anything this week because I'm just grumpy. I'm not going to be cheerful about it. I'll give more next week. Um, that's a little bit like saying, well, I know I need Christ in my life, but I want to get straightened out first before I, I, I try to get Christ into my heart. I want to straighten out my own life before I talk to Christ. If you need Christ, don't wait to straighten out your own life. Go and talk to Christ. We have a Savior that we can directly communicate with through prayer and His Scripture. Don't wait to do so. In the same way, don't wait to give. Be generous. I'm not happy about it this week. Well, there are studies that show, for example, that if you smile, you generate endorphins and it actually makes you happier. So if you're giving and you pretend like you're happy, you might just find yourself happily giving. Um, oh, one more thing that it's not. Cheerful giving. Anybody notice the basketball hoop over the offering in the back? That's a little dollar store. Um, just wad your offering up, stick it in through the basket. Um, and then somebody pointed out to me that fun is not necessarily the same as cheerful. 
but it's just something to get you thinking about different ways of giving. Let me see if I can give you an example of, of how things are affected when you're giving. Um, Bev and I were in Nashville. We were at a gaming convention. We had walked the hotel and it was going to cost us $60 for dinner if we, stayed at, if we ate at this resort hotel. So we're big Dave Ramsey people. We had it in our budget. It wasn't a big deal. But we decided instead we would go somewhere else. So we went across to a place called Caney Fork River Valley Grill. And if you're ever near Opryland Hotel, go, to, go there. They serve alligator and they serve snake. We did not eat alligator or snake, but they do serve it. I think we had like pulled pork and chicken or something. Um, but we got to talking to our waitress and she was working her way through college. She was at the grill trying to, to, to raise funds to go to college. She had just started a couple of weeks ago. She was really struggling to make ends meet. So at the end of dinner, we got our bill. It was under 25 bucks for both of us. We looked at each other. We said, you know, we, we have $60 budgeted for this. So we gave her a 50 and said, keep the change. It's the first time I've ever been hugged by a waitress. How do you think that affected our hearts on giving? That was fun. We had a blast giving this young lady a little bit larger tip than maybe usual. Do you think it will affect our future giving? Why? Because we got to see how much joy it brought her. Giving can really be fun. Um, well, let's celebrate some giving that the River Church does. How many of you have ever read the River Church budget? Uh -huh. Did you know we give 6% to the Northwest, uh, excuse me, North American Mission Board? The North American Mission Board, um, as a Baptist church, we have a headquarters in, is it Nashville? I don't know, wherever it is. It's, it's, it, but uh, we have this headquarters that acts kind of like the church in Jerusalem that Paul talked about. Everybody sends money to them, to what's called the North American Mission Board. They collect it up and they give it out. In fact, they give some of it to us. We're actually a recipient of their generosity. They use that money to plant churches. Um, they use that money to spread the word of God. This church gives 6% of everything that you give to North American Mission Board. So your money is not only coming back here, but it's coming all over the United States to plant churches and spread the word of God. That is something that you ought to be celebrating. We give 2% to the Central, Central Washington Baptist Association, which is the, the, the regional area, and they concentrate on spreading the word here. Uh, I don't know whether we get anything from them or not. But they spread the word of God. They do things like... Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, I think Gary Irby came here when we were out in the park one day. His salary is paid by the regional Baptist convention. And he goes around and tells churches how to improve what they're doing. I think. He's a catalyst. Yeah. So he tells us how to, what we're doing wrong and what we're doing right. Because um, he gets to see lots of churches and see what works and what doesn't. Our church gives money to them to the, the Northwest Baptist Convention, Central Washington Baptist Association. Um, 
Do you guys know what Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon offerings are? In our budget, they're called the Easter offering and the Christmas offering. Lottie Moon actually goes to the um, to World Mission Board or whatever the, the IMB, International Mission Board, and, and funds missionaries, Baptist missionaries, all over the world. So your dollars that you give in that box in the back actually go to fund missionaries to spread the word in China, in Asia, in Europe, um, anywhere other than here. The Annie Armstrong actually goes for here. It's another North, North American Mission Board gift. Our church dedicates 2% of everything you give towards those two missions. Now, are we a generous church? Yeah, I'll finish this first. Church plant. Wait a minute, before we go on. Um, church plant, we give 2% towards other churches. We are ourselves a church plant, and yet we're giving to other churches so that they can be planted. You know, in particular, I believe our funds are going towards Luke's church plant in Arizona. I think that's right. Arizona. Phoenix, right? Tucson. Tucson. Same place. It's all south. So. We also give 1% to an organization called Helping Hands for Christ. You guys know them as David and his family. that shows up about once a month. Um, they actually go around Yakima, and what they do is they do construction work and repair work for people who can't afford it otherwise. And if you've ever met David, the whole time he's doing the work, he's talking about Christ. So your money goes to help support them. So does that make us a generous church? Yes. Well, I, I, I don't know because who's celebrating that we're giving? You guys didn't even know this was going on. Now, are we? it doesn't make us a generous church because each one of us is a member of this church. Now, I will add that we also have $217 in designated giving towards the Annie Armstrong, $408 in designated giving towards Lottie Moon, and $1,137 towards church plants. Those are given by individuals within the church. So are we generous? I don't know. I don't know what you guys give. I don't know if you give generously or cheerfully or not. And I don't need to know that. That's between you and God. But Paul's telling you here that God loves a generous giver and a cheerful giver. Um, for me, if, if everybody had said, oh yeah, I just poured over the budget and I am so happy that we are giving to other organizations. Then I might say we were a giving church. But I'm not sure the budget represents our hearts. At least not all of our hearts. Um, so examine your heart and see what you're looking at. Uh, we don't limit ourselves to giving cash. Just as I said that, that Paul's statement is broader than just money, the River Church gives as well we do face painting and, and balloon animals at the Hops Fest and at a lot of the movie nights. We've given uh, gift cards to the local school teachers, local staff. Um, there are some other things that we've done that, that I'm not even, don't know all the details. I know that there's money gone out of, of did you know we have a benevolence fund? That if people need help, they can come to the church and we will help them out. Um, some of that money has gone out to help people. Um, so we don't just give um, of our money. We give of our time. We give of our efforts. We sent, sent people to uh, youth camp. 
That was a little bit of self-interest because some of our youth were going. But if you've, if you've never been, do it. It's, a, it's an amazingly a time of blessing for the, the adults that go. Why do I tell you this? Well, I don't tell you so we can toot our horn. Um, River Church gives money and we give time and effort. I tell you so that you can celebrate with us. I want you to be as cheerful about our giving as a church can be. Um, so why do you need to be giving? Generously, cheerfully. We get to verse 8 finally. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in all or every good works. Same Greek word for every. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 8 I call the all verse. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in all good works. One of the reasons Paul encourages you to give is because you will be blessed by it. Now, it says uh, distributed freely given to the poor his righteousness endures forever. And in verse 10 it says to increase the harvest of your righteousness. Again, he's not mentioning money. He's mentioning righteousness. Giving, um, in one of my earlier sermons, I pointed out that, that God is a giver. He gave his son to pay for our sins. So when we give, we're emulating Christ. We're emulating God. We're doing a practice that God does and did. We're giving the same, in many, many ways the same way that God gave. Um, note that your idea of sufficient might not be the same as God's idea of sufficient. Anybody remember this, this uh, old time favorite? Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. Ah, oldie but goodie. And unfortunately, the way that a lot of people look at their giving. Um, I talked to a, an older Christian man who said, Bill, I really firmly believe in the tithe and I believe in it because when I was in college I couldn't pay my utility bills. I had to choose between my utility and my tithe and I gave my tithe. And when I got home there was a $200 check in my mailbox. And that proves to me that tithing is real and God loves me. Well, God never said that he was going to return your money with more money. And I often wonder what his reaction would have been if they cut off his utilities. But he'd have not gotten hit by a bus that day or something. You know, if, if God had chosen a different way to bless him, I wonder what his reaction would have been. The key to this verse, I think, is... Um, that we need to be content with what God gives us. God is not a vending machine. It's not a case where you put money in the offering basket and you get twice as much back out. It is a case where you give cheerfully and generously and God blesses you. And you should be able to identify those blessings 
If you can't, does that mean he's not blessing you? No, it just means he's a little more subtle than what you can pick up. Sometimes we have a subtle God. You will be enriched, verse 11, in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So, he covered the me in the all verse. All things, all times, all sufficiency. Now he's covering the rest of Christ's community. What happens when you give? Well, the recipients give thanks. Do they give thanks to you? It's not what Paul says. Paul says they give thanks to God. And he mentions it several times. Um, overflowing with many thanksgivings to God. They will produce thanksgivings to God. Um, they will glorify God because of your submission. They will praise God because you are giving. Um, they will also pray for you. Now many times, um, we give to the North American Mission Board, right? Do you think they pray for us in particular? Mm -hmm. They have probably hundreds of thousands of givers. They probably don't pray for us by name. But they probably do have somebody who prays and thanks God for the goodness of churches who give. They may even have somebody who goes through the list and actually prays for every church on that list. Now, they don't play for, pray for Chris. They don't pray for Randy because they don't know who goes to church here. But they may very well pray for this church. So Paul says we give so that we will receive all sufficiency for God. Whether or not we agree that that's sufficient. And so that thanksgiving is given to God. There's another way to look at that and that is to look at it from the view of the receiver. And this is something where, where look at the many blessings God has given you. Have you thanked him for it? Have you given glory to his name? For most of us, we take that for granted. It's been a glorious day today. It's only 96. Well, thank you God that it's only 96. When was the last time you thanked God for the many things he gives you? When was the last time you prayed to God about the people who arranged for your blessings? Now, I'm not saying you should pray for the weatherman. I'm not sure he arranged the 96 or whatever. Um, but if you're given something and you know who gave it, pray for those people. If they're like me, they sure could use it. I think we all could use a little more prayer from places. Paul closes with thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And I mentioned this once already. What is the inexpressible gift that God gave? Maybe he's referring to the money that they're taking to Jerusalem. But 
doesn't seem so inexpressible to me is $2,912.42. See, I just expressed it. That seems very, very expressible. So, so maybe he's talking about something else. And I'm wondering if he isn't talking about the greatest gift that God gave, which is the Son. Um, most of you have heard it. We're born sinners. We sin throughout our life. And we have to pay a price for that sin. And that price is death. But God gave his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and paid the price for that sin so that we don't have to die. Is that not an inexpressible gift? Those who have children, think about giving up one of your children to save somebody else. So how do I apply this? I'll be quick on this and we'll close. Um, first of all, get out of debt. Broke people can't give. It's really hard to give if you don't have any money. Now, is it impossible to give if you don't have any money? Shouldn't be. What do we talk about? This is a general principle. It's not limited to money. If you can't give money, give your time. I tried once giving my time to my daughter teaching her math. She asked me never to do that again. <laughs> so I found other ways. You know, if you have money, great, give it generously. If you have time, Give it generously. If you have a skill, use it generally. Second, examine your checkbook and your day planner. Look at what you're spending money on and what you're spending your time on. The easiest way to see this is your checkbook, your financial giving. Um, your checkbook shows whether you're giving generously. And that doesn't just mean the church here. It may, you may be giving generously in other areas. And that's okay too. Uh, but I want to be clear. The Bible says that, that if you don't take care of your family first, you're worse than a non-believer. So if you get down to the point where the choice is paying your utilities or giving to the church, I recommend you pay your utilities. Okay. In fact, I mentioned we have a benevolent fund. If you can't pay your utilities, you need to come talk to your church staff. Because we're a family, and we're here to help in any way we can. Um, church families, they're families. That's why we're here. Um, however, if you're not giving generously because your, your baseball card collection needs to be updated, you really need all 700 channels on, on Dish Network. Um, you know. Um, you know, hamburgers just don't taste the same as lobster. You know, look at what you're spending your money and your time on and see whether there are changes that should be made so that you can be more generous with your money or with your time towards others. Um, third, examine the expectations when you give. Are you treating God like a vending machine? I gave $100 to church this week. I better have a check for $200 on Monday. I gave up going to the Pippins game. I sure hope that, that Johnny comes over and cuts my grass for me. It doesn't work that way. When you give, you're to give generously and cheerfully, knowing that God will bless you, but not demanding the form of the blessing. You don't get to pick how God blesses you. Keep that in mind when you give. And finally, consider the way 
that you receive the gifts of God. Do you give thanks? Are you jumping up and down? Picture that waitress as she gave me a hug. She gave Bev one too, by the way. So, but, but can you picture yourself running up to God and, and giving him a hug and saying, thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you for healthy kids. Thank you for everything that you gave me today. Look at how you are reacting to God's gifts. And see if you need to change your attitude. See if you need to be more cheerful or more generous. Maybe both. It's no coincidence that the passage ends, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Because he has given us a gift far beyond anything we could ever give to him. Let's close with prayer. Father, we want to be cheerful and generous. And we just want to uh, jump up and down with joy and, and hug you for the good things that you give us. Help us to examine our hearts, to examine our, our uh, attitudes, and to make those changes that we need to, to come in line with what you desire. Help us not to be the kid who gets, you know, God, I, I gave to you just last month. But the kid who says, sure, no problem, God. I can do that because you asked me to. Bless us now as we go about our business. Help us to uh, uh, be generous and cheerful this week. Amen. So we have music. Music. <laughs>